Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Listen, let me just, while I kind of get situated here, let me just thank you for your support uh, with the spaghetti dinners. Um, If you missed the announcement a few Weeks ago, we announced what this whole Camparama thing is. Uh, in case you missed it or maybe kind of forgot about it, it is the every four years, the Royal Ranger Ministry, boy, this thing just like turns and turns. Every four years, the Royal Ranger Ministry, which is a national, international ministry that we are a part of here at the church, gets together for a, a five-day rally down in Eagle Rock, Missouri. And it's, uh, they have upwards of three to 5,000 men and boys come to this event. It's like every four years. It's basically the Woodstock for the Lord. And um, we're hope- we've never been. Our church has never been. We're excited to go. Um, with an awesome event comes an awesome price tag. Uh, in case you were wondering, it's upwards of $400 a person. That doesn't include transportation. <laughs> so we're trying to raise as much money as we can. Uh, we're having a chili cook-off. You're going to hear about that uh, hopefully this weekend, if not next weekend. Uh, also, there's been many folks, and I, listen, I appreciate um, those of you that's just been donating online and donating through the, the offering box. You can always donate to that. Just put Rangers on it. Just put Royal Rangers on it, and it's going to go to that event. And uh, with it being in the summer, we only have a few months to kind of really raise money. So bear with us if you constantly hear about Rangers raising money because we need it because we want to send some men and boys to this thing as much as we can. So thank you for participating in that. Well, how are y'all doing tonight? You guys doing all right? I'm going to scoot back a little bit, so hopefully I can get y'all in one shot there. Uh, greetings tonight. In case you're joining, uh, maybe kind of new to the church, I'm not Pastor Eddie. I'm the much more gifted and better looking younger brother. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, uh, they're not with us this evening. Uh, God bless them, and we'll, we'll remember them in prayer at the end of the night. Um, but I do have a word to bring with you this this evening. Uh, oh, let me just remind you, speaking of giving and, and, and offering, um, by, all, by now we're all pretty comfortable with how we give online. You can give your offering tonight as well as the box uh, in the gym. You can always give unto the Lord this evening. Um, but who brought their Bibles tonight? Do you all bring your Bibles tonight? Let me give you a chance to get those out, boot them up, turn them on, whatever you brought. Going to have a little different, kind of a different, uh, kind of a change of pace tonight. Um, I might even get this stool. Matter of fact, I think I might. It's been kind of a long day. But this is a different, I didn't come to talk at you tonight. I didn't come to preach at you tonight. Come to have a Bible study with you tonight. And I love these Wednesday nights because they does give us a chance to kind of slow down, to kind of break down the Word of God in different ways. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, So let me encourage you to get your Bibles. If you have something to write with, you're going to need to get that out. Maybe if you keep notes on your phone at the same time, whatever the case may be. But, but uh, this is going to be, like I said, a bit of a, a change of pace, something a little different. But we're going we're gonna to dissect a passage of the Word of God here. Uh, go to Jude. Go to the book of Jude, please. Uh, that's toward the rear of the Bible. And we will open in, uh, open in prayer this evening. Father, thank you for this chance to be here together. Lord, we thank you for your presence that is here in this room. Lord, we know it. We feel it. We sense it. And, Father, we just ask, God, that your spirit would continue to be with us. Lord, speak, to my, speak through my lips, O oh Lord, that I could minister to your people. Lord, anoint all of our ears to listen to what the Spirit is saying, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives. And we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So go ahead and go to the book of Jude tonight. Hey, Jude. 
If you're there, say, I'm there. If not, say, hold on. Jude is way back there toward the rear of the Bible. So tonight, I'm going to do my best. And as I was preparing today, my sweet, loving wife was sitting next to me, and she gently put her arm and hand and tapped my arm and said, honey, remember, this is just Wednesday night. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, just, you know, <laughs> be mindful of the time. So I'm going to do my best to get us out of here by 835. It'll be much sooner than that. But I'm going to go as long as, as time will permit. Obviously, I want to be conscious of that. But I also want us to do something different tonight. So let me just, and you know, let me just take advantage of this evening to just share some things that may help some folks. We're going to do a, a, a bit of an expository type study tonight at the entire book of Jude. It's one chapter. But, you know, it's one thing, we, we have a saying right here, Pastor Eddie says it a lot. It's one thing to read your Bible. It's another thing to learn your Bible. And, you know, it's a great, a great habit to get into, reading your, a Bible passage in the day, having a devotion time. But can I encourage you, if you're not already, to become a student of the Word of God. What the difference of that is, is a student of the Word of God is someone that applies themselves to break down and to dissect what this book is really saying. Because I think every generation faces what Jude is about, but I believe even now, more than ever, especially with technology being the way that it is, you can get so confused. My dad used to say, confused is a termite and a yo-yo. You can get so confused with all the different teachings and all the different trends and all the different fads. And if you're not rooted in the word of God, you're going to get deceived. You're going to get sidetracked. You're going to, you know, believe all kind of crazy stuff. And so let me just encourage you tonight. A couple of tools, you know, to be a good carpenter, to be a good tradesman, you got to have more than just a hammer in your tool bag, right? You got you to have some tools. Or maybe if you're a cook, you got to have more than just a spatula, or whatever, whatever your craft is. To study the word of God, you got to have more than you know, um, one or two things, but let me just encourage you, get yourself a good study Bible. Get a, get yourself a good reference study Bible. Um, a couple that I like to recommend is a spirit filled Bible by Jack Hayford. Another one is the one that I'm using tonight is the Thomas Nelson signature study Bible. Um, there's a few out there that, that have some good footnotes and some good cross references. Whenever you're reading a passage of scripture, sometimes you'll see a little number or a letter next to that word. With a good study Bible, you'll take that letter and reference it into the, the reference column, and it will give you maybe another passage that would clarify what it's trying to say. Um, an, another uh, resource that I'd like to recommend to you is a Strong's Concordance. Uh, I think we all understand that the book was not written in English. Jesus wasn't speaking English, so I think we understand that. But in order for us to truly grasp what the Word of God is saying, sometimes you have to go to the, the root language, and which is Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and the Strong's Concordance is a great reference for that. It literally has every word in the Bible translated to the original, and we're going to go through some of that tonight. And then lastly, I, uh, some good commentaries. There's wonderful commentaries of the Word of God, and these are, and I would, I would really, I don't want to say caution you, but, but you know, there's some that are very good and some that are, are, are not the best. You can always ask myself, ask Pastor Eddie, ask one of our deacons. Um, I just wanted to take advantage of tonight to throw that out there. So tonight we're going to be referencing all of those that I just mentioned because it's important for us to dissect the Word of God, to truly, truly understand what it means. I was helping my son with math last night, and then I realized I had no idea what I was doing, so I got one of his older siblings. But what I kept telling my son as he was working with him is don't just tell him the answer. Explain to him how he got the answer. We can do the same thing in the Word of God, right? We can memorize even passages, but if we truly don't understand it, it's not going to be as 
as deeply impactful as the Lord meant it to be. So we're going to study the book of Jude tonight, the book of Jude. I was in traffic earlier this week, and I was sitting, I uh, was across the road, and I was found myself parked on this road. It was a long traffic jam, and I looked way ahead, and it was a railroad track. It was a train that was going through. And I know the trains in this specific neighborhood, these trains, like, my goodness, these trains, you could get, like, your college degree by the time this thing passes. These things take forever. And I was like, okay, so here we are. So I put it in park. Well, two cars in front of me must have had enough. And this lady was driving. This thing had to have been an F-350. I swear this was the biggest truck I've ever seen on the road. And it caught my eye because she couldn't get it to turn because it was a narrow road. And she kept having to, like, you know, all the way until she finally got it to turn. As soon as she turned, you already know what I'm going to say. As soon, I mean, as soon as she turned and gunned it to let everybody know she's done waiting. As soon as she's turned, the caboose went by and the gates lifted. And I looked, and there was a half a mile behind me. There was no point in turning around, and she waited to the very end, and she missed it. I don't know about you, but when I go to the the store, I am a professional shopper. Like, legit, I did ship for a while, so I'm like a certified professional shopper. But I've, I've always just been, I'm, I'm the type of shopper that I, I like to go in, get what I need, and get out and set my timer to beat my previous record. I hate spending time in the grocery store. Growing up as the youngest child, my mom was a professional shopper, a professional bargain hunter who had a coupon for every store in the neighborhood and bought different things at different stores. And so going, here, honey, come shopping with mama, I knew what that meant. Two things. Number one, it's going to be all day. And number two, she's going to buy me a a donut, a Long John donut. That was my favorite. But I'm a professional shopper, so I go in and I I, I do good. I get my list. I hate actually having a list because in my mind that means it's going to be a long time. So I like to just go off the top of my head, but I always forget something. So my wife insists I I use a list now. But when I go in, I got the store laid out. How how many of y'all do this? You got the store laid out. You know exactly what you got. I got produce. I got dairy. I got frozen. I got this. I'm in and out. Boom, 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 boom. I am the world's best and fastest shopper. I am the world's worst checkout line picker-outer. I don't know if anybody else has this curse, but there could be three lines, and they all have the same amount of people. And I'll pull up to the one that breaks down, or pull up to the one where the lady doesn't want to pay the price that's ringing up. Or I pull up to the one that, uh, you name it, and everyone's just going, right, and there I sit. Just like in a time continuum loop or something. My whole point is, what I'm talking about is the book of Jude. Jude, I believe... I believe Jude is prophetically placed. You know, other than the book of Genesis, which is the beginning, Revelations, which is the end, the other books really don't matter where they are. So I don't want to look, look too much into the placement of the books. Job, in fact, was our, is our oldest book of the Bible that we know was the oldest written. And it's in the middle. But I believe Jude is prophetically placed at the end of the book for a reason. And what I'm getting at tonight is I don't want any of us in this room or any of us that may be listening to this podcast later, I don't want any of us to be a professional shopper or to do good but blow it at the end. It'd be like waiting all day for Thanksgiving dinner, and right before they call the dinner bell, you run to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. And you miss the dinner that was prepared for you and it was so wonderful to wait for. I believe that's the message of what Jude is saying right here because it is oftentimes at the end of the race is when we mess up. Nobody running a marathon, nobody running a race, nobody competing in sports shows up to that starting line. All right, I'm going to go 20 feet and I'm going to fail. Or all right, I'm going to go 26.1 mile and fail. Or no one sets out to fail. We all set out to finish. 
but it is during the time of the race. And unfortunately for many of us, it is at the end of the race that we fail, that we blow it. Either we, 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 we get too comfortable or we quit. We make mistakes by getting lazy or maybe excusing our sin. We see this even in our marriages. Sometimes, you know, we date and we pursue one another. And then when we, you know, we get married and, and time goes on, we stop pursuing one another. We stop giving one another our best. We do that in our friendships. We might have lifelong friendships and we no longer nurture. We might have even on our job, we no longer put, you know, you, you show up at the first day early. You got your uniform clean. You're ready. You're alert. Come a couple years on the job, maybe you're showing up late wearing the wrong uniform and you don't care about anything. It's human nature. We digress. And so we can do that in our spirit life if we're not careful. But this letter tells us how to act in the last days. And that's what I think is so relevant today because, you know, with all the things that are happening, Pastor Eddie's even been ministering on the, last, on the end times here on Wednesdays, and we were talking about that last week. There's a lot of things happening. And I'm not, you know, we're not sure yet if this is the fulfillment of, you know, Gog and Magog. We're watching, we're looking. Is this that? I don't know. It could be. But I can tell you this, this is our last days. This is your and I, this is our last days. You're only going to live once. That is true. How are we going to act? How are we going to conduct ourselves? How are we going to live in a victorious manner? The book of Jude is little, but it's going to help us with that. So if you want to write some things down, we're going to kind of go verse by verse and chop this out. And, and I, I, really, I really think this is going to minister to some people. If you're not a student of the word, then, then tonight um, may or may not interest you a whole lot. But if you are interested in learning some deeper things of the Lord, we're going to, we're going to go deep tonight. Jude, if you want to study the book of Jude after we read it tonight, you also need to, to write down Second Peter, the whole book of Second Peter. Because Jude and Second Peter are connected. If you read them, they talk about the very same thing, except that Peter goes in depth in Second Peter a little bit more than Jude. So let's begin reading in verse 1, and we're just going to kind of read and stop, read and stop. Jude, verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. One thing when you're studying the Word of God is I like to look at the backstory. I like to look at the author because it's important. Now, Jude uses a word called bondservant. In the New Testament, there are six Judes. In the New Testament. After church history narrows it down to two, we believe very confidently that this actually is the same Jude that was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. The other half-brother being James. In James chapter 1, James uses this very first introduction. James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Don't have to show your hand tonight, but how many of us, if our brother was Jesus Christ, how many of us would be so happy to just say, yeah, that's my boy. I'm Jesus' brother. Come on now. Y'all acting like y'all holy. You know you do the same thing. These guys are so humble in their approach that they won't even say that. They relate to themselves as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not family, not half-brother, not apostleship. No, they're a bondservant. The whole book of Jude, and I don't think I said this, the whole book of Jude, you're ta- you, you see two groups of Christians. You see, you see true believers and you see false prophets slash teachers, even false Christians. And the whole, the whole premise of this book is for, A, to understand people around you, people in your group, in your church, but also a warning that you and I don't fall into one of these categories eventually. So, I find this very fascinating that Jude uses the word bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. He doesn't even, he doesn't even try to flash his apostleship or being the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Keep going. To those who are called and sanctified 
by God the Father. That word sanctified means set apart. And preserved in Jesus Christ. Now we'll stop there for a minute. Underline that word preserved. Preserved. Highlight it, whatever you need to do. But this is a very powerful word. To those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. This, this little verse can take you to John chapter 17 and verse 11. John 17, 11. This is the passage where John is meeting with his disciples before he is betrayed in the garden. This is Jesus' last time with his disciples. It, it's my favorite portion of the Gospels is with, when he's with his disciples. If you read John 17, 11 and 12, I think it is, he says... To the Lord, he says, I have kept every single one of these. This word preserved is that same passage. This is what that word means. It means to detain. It means to guard. Now, what I was talking about earlier with, it, with the different language, uh, the language barrier we often have, this is one of the language barriers. In the original Aramaic, which is kind of a street slang mixture of Arabic and, and Greek, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of the language they were using, there are, there are um, uh, gender specificities to these words. We don't necessarily have that in English, but there are, even in Spanish and and, in other languages, there'll be a masculine tense and a feminine tense. This is very important because this really blessed my heart as I began to study this out. That word preserved, which literally means to guard or detain, is from the masculine sense. In other words, it's this. It is the same word that would be used as a husband standing between the mugger and his wife. It is the same word that would be used for a father standing on the front porch protecting his children from the kidnapper. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this word denotes fulfilling the prophecy of what Jesus said in John is that God the Father is our guard. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that is keeping us and the one that is guarding us. That, that really blessed my heart to, to read that and to realize that this evening. Because a lot of times, you know, we sing the song, I feel surrounded, but I know I'm surrounded by you. That's real. How many know this life, man? You can feel isolated. You can feel surrounded. You can feel defeated real quick. And the devil likes to be right there to tell you that you're all alone. But we have this promise right here in Jude. We are kept. We are preserved by the boss. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 2. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, this, this is a very common greeting to greet with love. I mean, even, even in, uh, in, in the Hebrew culture, you know, they, you say shalom. You greet one another with peace, and that's also a greeting and a, and a passing. Um, that my son, uh, and for those of you that may or may not know my oldest son, Joshua, he's been in the Navy now for a year. He, he's a church kid, and he's a character. And we found out that after he was told he was graduating boot camp, he already knew he had passed. Uh, he had his final watch. And um, thinking he'd be funny as a church kid, when the petty officer came to relieve him of his duty, he, instead of saying uh, his proper lines of stepping down, he greeted the officer with shalom. <laughs> Made the whole division do, do push-ups and jumping jacks for the rest of the morning. And as they did that, they had to say, thank you, Markham, do it again, or something like that. And uh, so every time I read the word shalom, I think of my son. But that's very common. Greet you with a brotherly, sisterly kiss. We greet you in love. Now, Here's what you don't see very often is the word mercy. The word mercy in a greeting is only used four times in the entire Bible. Four. Four. The word mercy, four times as a greeting. All four times it is addressed with a letter that deals with um, a warning against false teaching. All four times. Mercy. Why? I don't know. But I can just tell you what I think. 
Because I believe that even though we're trying to do right in the body of Christ and we're dealing with false teachers, we're dealing with those that are sowing discord, I think it's very easy in human nature to just go, I mean, i would be very careful how I say it, but I think it's very easy for us to go to zero to 100 just like that, get into our old flesh, because it's out of a sense of defense, it's out of a sense of setting things right. But I think we have to be very careful to remember that the mercy of Jesus Christ that saved us is the same mercy that is reaching out to them. And their life is not over, so the Lord is, there's still breath in their lungs, so the Lord still has a plan for their life. Before we throw rocks, before we point fingers, before we stand our ground in Jesus' name, I think we need to understand that we need to be humbled in the mercy that the Lord has shown us. Amen? In Philippians 1.9, I think we have that on the screen. Um, let, me, let me show you this, because this is a powerful verse dealing with this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment. This scripture right here tells us that all of our discernment has got to be rooted in love. I, this is one of my go-to scriptures that always seems to find a way in any time I, I minister anywhere, any place, because I believe there is so much hurt in the body of Christ for various reasons. I can tell you my life, I've been brought up in church my entire life. That's all I've ever known. And I can tell you that if I were to look at the top ten deepest hurts of my life that I've ever had, every single one of them has come through the church. Whether it was seeing how people treated my parents when I, when I was a kid, watching my parents pastor, or people that has treated me a certain way, or my kids a certain way, I can guarantee you. So listen, church people ain't perfect. Church people, they're going to hurt you. They're going to lie to you. I had a, a guy that, that's an associate that I work with. He knows I'm a Christian. He knows he's not, and he's very proud of that. And he tried to come up and say something about the hypocrites in church just the other day. And I just casually let it, what, something my dad used to always say about that. And I didn't even know I said it. I just kind of let it slip out. And, 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 and I said, well, it's better to go to church with him now than hell later. And he, was, he had his little phone. And he was, as he was talking, he looked up at me. And he, we just looked at each other. Like, he didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say because, you know, I was like, that's, I mean, you know, I'd stand my ground, but I'm not an argumentative person. And so I said it like, what are we going to do? And, and we just, we just like, he literally walked away. And this guy always has something to say, but isn't that the truth? Again, if, before we deal with, with a conflict, before we deal with a false teacher, let it be rooted in mercy and let it be rooted in love. The reason why Jesus was able to look at the Pharisees and call them brood of vipers, it's because right around the corner he was going to lay down his life for them. That's why Jesus was able to do and say what he did. I don't know if you and I are there. I know I'm certainly not there yet. So let us walk in mercy. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I love the, the phrase. You can draw attention to the phrase common salvation. He was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. It was very common for these letters to just kind of be generic, kind of a way to communicate. This letter was about the faith. This letter would have been about encouraging one another to pray, loving one another, just maybe even talking about heaven. All, you know, you, the, the, you, you, we don't know the exact content, but he, he abruptly turns a corner and says, listen, I found it out of necessity to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith Earnestly, that word necessary in the original language literally means distress. Distress. 
He was arrested by the Holy Spirit to not just indulge in the goodness and faithfulness and, and, and all the wonderful things that God can give, but you've got to see the heart of this, this apostle. You've got to hear the, the heart of this writer saying, I am distressed in my spirit because the church body is under attack, and I want to make you aware of what is going on. So it makes me perk up. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, to contend earnestly for the faith. It words it like this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issue of life. Now there's two reasons why you have to keep your heart. There's only two reasons why you tell somebody to guard something. Number one, it's because it's valuable or number two, because it is fragile. Both are true about our hearts. That's why he is saying guard your heart. Your heart can easily be broken. Your heart can easily be tricked. Your heart could easily be hurt. Your heart could easily be betrayed. Guard your heart. Because it's tender. But also guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. All I have to do is poison your heart and it will ruin the rest of your life. If I can just poison your heart with bitterness, poison your heart with negativity, poison your heart with discord or or whatever the case may be, it literally will send you on a self-destruct path. That's why we have to guard our heart. Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. When I was, I, I often like to you know, tell stories when I was in high school, uh, I was starting on the varsity basketball team. Now, never mind the fact it was a small private school. We just need people that could breathe to be on the basketball team. I leave that out. I was a starter, starting guard on a high school varsity basketball team. But I loved to play basketball. I wasn't the biggest guy. But I was pretty quick, so I could hold my own a little bit. But one thing that we always did when we grab a rebound is you were taught, grab the ball and then do this with your elbows. Till someone stops trying to pursue you because it's a moment of wrestling for that ball. That's what that means. That means I've got my faith. I've got what I believe, why I believe, and in whom I believe. And I'm going to wrestle against anything that comes against me. I'm going to wrestle against offense. I'm going to wrestle against unbelief. I'm going to wrestle against false teachers. I'm going to wrestle against bad people because it's that valuable to me. Amen? All right, let's keep going. Number four, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. These are ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, can I tell you, just as these, un, these unholy men were creeping into the church, the enemy rarely announces himself in broad daylight. He never shows up saying, I'm the devil and I'm here to wreck your life. What can I do for you today? I wish it were that easy, but it's not. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us he transforms himself into a messenger of light. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13. You can write this down and read the parable later, but I'll sum it up for you. Jesus said that while the farmer slept, the enemy planted tares. And it wasn't until the time of the harvest came that when they all sprouted up, the wheat was giving fruit, but there were no fruit in the tares. And they came and, and, and asked him, Master, do we, do we uproot the tares? And he said, no, because you'll damage the wheat. Let them grow to the end of the harvest, and the Lord of the harvest will separate them. There's a lot of truth in that parable, a little more than what I can, can unpack in this moment. But we need to understand that it is during those night seasons is when the enemy is going to plant tares in your life. It is in those night seasons we're told in Scripture that the bridegroom is going to call. Are you a wise or unwise virgin? It is in those midnight watches that we're tempted to give up. It is in those times when our prayers aren't seemingly getting answered. It's in those moments when we feel alone. It's in those night watches when no one's looking, 
If we may let our standards slip a little, it's in those night watches. You know what I'm talking about. Let me encourage you tonight, brother, sister, to maintain strength in those night watches. Now, these these ungodly men were turning the grace of God into lewdness and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. What What this simply means is that these men of God quote-unquote, were coming into the church, but they were living a very ungodly lifestyle and covering it under the grace of God, deceiving great many people. My father, well, if you've heard his testimony, the Lord saved him. He was an alcoholic and a brawler and a a drugger, and and, uh, he got miraculously saved, walked out of that lifestyle. And he'll tell you about this doctrine that came, one of his cousins um, told him that, well, now that you're saved, now you can do whatever you want, and you'll be just fine. Well, my dad thought, okay, I'll go back to the bar. After a couple of months of being saved, he finds himself back at the bar, sitting on a bar stool. And one of his old buddies comes over and says, Markham, what are you doing here? He said, I have no idea. (laughs) Give me another one. And he spent the next couple of weeks in that lifestyle and almost lost his mind. Because he became became so confused and, and the enemy, it was an open door for the enemy to come into his life. That's what these guys were saying. That's what these guys were doing. And we know this was a night season for these because if you keep reading in verse 5, he says this, but I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, though you once knew this, that means that these guys were followers of the Lord. This church that he's writing to, this group of believers, they were right on. They were earnest, but they kind of let their guard down just a little bit. They kind of let their wall down just a little bit. They, they, they begin to just be a little loose, a little, a little whatever, and that's what happened. These false teachers came in and was deceiving them. Let's keep reading. That the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar matter having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The writer Jude here, let's break this down just a little bit. The writer talks about three groups of apostates here. Number one, the unbelieving Israelites. These are the people that murmured and complained and were unbelieving in the wilderness. Number two, the fallen angels. And number three, those in Sodom and Gomorrah whose lifestyles was brought up again in Romans because it also says in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas, if you read that in Jude, the surrounding areas, sin has a way of just permeating through the area and through the environment and through the communities that it's in. But he said this, they're all subject to eternal punishment. He equates unbelief, listen to this, this is what grabbed a hold of my heart as I was studying this. He equates unbelief and sexual immorality with rebellion against God. Did you catch that? Listen, let me tell you, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And God is a God of order. And God is a God of order. I can't say that enough. As, as wildly and as beautiful as creation is, it is not haphazard. It is not accidental. My son, my youngest son who's in the seventh grade has been having a science teacher who is very atheistic and very outspoken in class. And he asked my son a question, and my son answered from a creation scientist standpoint. The teacher didn't like that. Embarrassed him in front of the class. We had talked about it after. And then the next day, 
My son waits till after class and he walks up to his desk and he says, can you answer me one question? If you believe in the Big Bang Theory, tell me how it happened. My son said this. He began to explain to him. He said, well, I don't really understand all that you're saying, but if I have a box of Legos and I shake it up, the car's not going to come rolling out. It needs someone to put it together. And this universe needs somebody to put it together. It didn't happen on its own. I said, son, I hope you were respectful when you said that. He said, I was, Dad, but he made him a little Lego cross that he's been wearing around his neck. He said, I was respectful, but I just had to say it. (laughs) I said, what do you want to be when you grow up, a preacher? That's what he said. But what I'm saying is God is a God of order. He equates sexual immorality and unbelief with rebellion. This is fascinating. Let's keep reading on this in verse 8. Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. Whew. I'm going to keep rolling right over that one. These dreamers, in the original language, this is one word. It means the dreaming ones. These are the ones that are, that, and it literally is interpreted, visions on your bed. Seeing visions while you sleep. Now listen, I believe the Lord speaks to us in dreams and visions. He's spoken to me in dreams and visions. He's spoken to my family in dreams and visions. That's, it's a, a kind of a thing that he has done in our family. And I know many of you, the Lord has spoken to you in dreams and visions. But we have a trend these days where it seems like these certain people get a dream or a vision from the Lord like every day and every single night. And I just want to, to just caution, listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't ever give us dreams or speak to us from a sense of entertainment. There is always an instruction. There is always a reproof. There is always a, a message, a lesson to come through that. Let us make sure that we are understanding what's going on. And he, he later explains himself. These dreamers defile the flesh they reject authority, and they speak even of dignitaries. He says this. He puts into context that the spiritual persona that these false teachers are walking under doesn't match up in the practical sense because these guys have attitude problems, and they have attitude problems against the authority of God. So how is God going to speak in dreams and visions and all this woo stuff, but their life outside doesn't line up, doesn't line up with the fruits of the Lord? Be careful saints of God, in these last days, who you're opening yourself up to. Be very careful. Because as you open yourself up, you can allow these people to influence you, and they can greatly influence you for the kingdom of God. They can greatly influence you for the kingdom of the enemy with confusion. If if their books aren't balanced, I don't care how many languages they speak in the spirit, they're not walking in the structure of God. Let me just say that. If, if, if their reputation outside of Bible teaching, if they're, if they're known to be cruel to people and to be inhumane to people, if they're known to be double standard in their family, time out. We don't need to open ourselves up to these individuals. I don't care how mass the call, the, the following that they have, we have to use, like my dad used to always say, just because we're Pentecostals doesn't mean we check our brains at the door. Amen? Amen. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're getting here. We're, we're getting going. But listen, by bringing this full circle to the three references above, we see that these guys are resistance to God authority. He puts them in the same category as the sexual immorality, the rebellion, and the unbelief. Let's keep going. In verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, 
just for a moment, I do not have time to get into this, but this is the first out of two instances that Jude um, references um, material from Apocrypha. These are extra-biblical accounts that deal with eternity past and eternity future. There's, there's a lot that have to do with end times. This, book was, this passage was taken out of the Assumption of Moses. Most Bible scholars believe this was taken out of the Assumption of Moses. This was a, a Hebrew cultural um, book. It didn't make it into the canon of Scripture, um, but if you have a, like a good study Bible, like this, this, um, some of this came out of the, the Clement of Alexandria had written some of these commentaries. This was taken from there. This, this is not taken from Scripture per se, but something in the assumption of Moses. Now, here, here, I'm just almost say about that. This usage here doesn't inspire the, uninspire the book of Jude, but it also doesn't inspire the other writings. Do you understand? Um, the word of God is the, what is inspired, Second Timothy and then even Peter, the, the inspired of the word of God. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jude was allowed to reference this material. So what I'm saying here that why did Michael come to him and say, the Lord rebuke you? Without getting into the hierarchy of the, of the supernatural and the spirit, if you read this and you study this, again, getting into word study, the word Michael means who is like the Lord. The word Michael means who is like the Lord. What was Satan's greatest sin? What did he try to do? Let me help you out. Be like the Lord. Remember in the prophecy of the five I am's, I will. I will ascend to the hill of God. I will overtake God. I will, you know, those things that he says, I will. I believe Michael was not playing into the games of the enemy because if his name meant who was like the Lord, there is so much pride there that could be there because that was Satan's downfall. And I believe he knew the enemy that he was dealing with. And that's why he said, I don't bring an accusation. The Lord brings an accusation against you. Much like when Jesus was in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil, Jesus didn't try to explain anything. He just simply said, it is written. He just used the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And so he was rebuking him by the name of the Lord. I, I find that very, very powerful, very fascinating. Let's keep going. Verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know, naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, once again, he gives reference to three categories. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, he says, I believe we have that on the screen. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can be known nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. These false individuals do not know the truth of the word. They aren't living in the spirit, so they are trying to use their natural intellects and natural giftings simply to impress people. These are the three categories, the way of Cain. We find his story in Genesis chapter 4. If you know anything about Cain, you know that Cain was marked by pride and by self-righteousness. He was a tiller of the soil. He was his own man. He was his own person. In fact, he got irritated at God when God said, where's your brother? I, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? How many of y'all would talk to God that way? It takes a special kind of dumb to talk to God that way. But yet, this is who Cain was because Cain was just this type of person. How many of y'all know somebody like, oh, raise your hand. Put the hand out. But you know what I'm talking about. 
it actually drove him to murder his brother because this man was so full of of pride and self-righteousness. The way of Balaam. This is a very fascinating story. I was just reading this uh, um, uh, just a few weeks ago. In Numbers chapter 22, Balaam was a pagan prophet who tried to gain profit from the work of the Lord. He was literally hired to curse the Israelites, if you read his story. He was literally hired to curse the Israelites. So he said, okay, I'll do it. But when he got there, he was arrested by the Holy Spirit, and he couldn't do it. In fact, not only could he not curse them, he ended up blessing them every single time. And this is, this is a very powerful story. This is the story with you know, the, the donkey scenes, the angel. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the story. But Balaam was full of greed. Listen, we need to be careful. No man of God and a woman of God is going to, according to the scripture, going to exchange miracles, exchange blessings, exchange breakthroughs for money. Be very wise to that. Be very careful with that. And lastly was the way of Korah. In number 16, he tells us that Korah was actually a priest of his own right, but he wasn't the high priest. And he calls out Moses and Aaron for just basically saying, I'm one of y'all, why don't you treat me that way? And he challenged Moses and Aaron in front of the entire children of Israel. And in fact, if you know the story, Moses said, okay, let God be the judge between me and you. If, if, if Let the Lord do a new thing and let the ground swallow you up if you're the one in error. And not us. And sure enough, they met the next morning, and the ground literally opened up and swallowed Korah. And I believe it was a little over 200 of his followers. That's such a shame because Korah was already in the house of the Lord, but he just wanted more. If someone can't submit to the governing spiritual authority, they're not in the order of God. Let's keep going here. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. These are spots in your love feast. I find this fascinating that it's a stain, not a tear, not a rip. A rip is basically something that is removed. It's easily spotted. But a stain is just annoying, isn't it? It's, it just won't, you know, you can hide it. You can kind of do whatever and, and, and do the best you can, wear a jacket, whatever. But, but, but it defiles the fabric, and it eventually comes out. In fact, that word spot literally means hidden reef, hidden reef. We might call it here in the Midwest a sandbar in a lake where all of a sudden you're going down in your pontoon boat or your little paddle boat and you see nothing in front of you, then boom, you stop because you hit a sandbar, you hit a little reef. That's what these guys do. If you're ever in a situation where the blessing of the Lord is just not there, stuff's not flowing, things aren't happening, could it be that you're under the influence of a false teacher or a false Christian for that matter? Let's keep going. We're almost out of time. He says this. He said, they are clouds without water, carried about by the many winds. They are late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Just like the angels that were fallen, just like the others, it's the reserved in blackness and darkness forever. We had a, my, my, my occupation for many years was in sales. And, you know, working in sales, you get a lot, of, a lot of showboats. You get a lot of John Waynes. And my boss had a, had a saying. He used to say, uh, if someone couldn't back it up, he would say, they're, they're uh, all hat and no cowboy. Did you ever hear that one? Did you ever hear all sizzle, no steak? Can't, you can talk the talk, but you can't walk the walk. These are late autumn trees. This means this. This means that they used to have fruit. 
they used to produce something for the Lord. In fact, knowing that they're twice dead tells us that they were once born again. This is where the warning comes into brothers and sisters of like faith. Don't let one of us become one of these people. Because it could happen to every single one of us. The moment we get out of God's structure, the moment we get out of God's order, the moment we get out of God's system, we become one of these individuals. Whether we got a, a YouTube channel or a following or not, we can be just as poisoned as someone sitting in the pew as a false teacher in the pulpit. In fact, the greatest enemy of the church is often come from within its own four walls. The, enemy, the, the world is the world. They're going to do all the things, but it is those that creep in unannounced, as Jude wrote, that caused the most danger. To just keep going, he says here, um, these are wandering stars still operating in their gifts, but without the Spirit. Now Enoch, the seventh, verse 14, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly among them and all the ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is the second reference to Apocrypha. Uh, This was taken from the book of Enoch. But I think you need to understand, look how powerful this is. Four times he uses the word ungodly. The ungodly people, ungodly way, ungodly deeds, ungodly. But these will not go unpunished. Don't allow yourself to be a part of it. Verse 16. These are grumblers. These are complainers. These are those who walk according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words to flatter people to gain advantage. Again, pointing out the real person. They have great swelling words to flatter people, but they're grumblers. They're complainers. They're walking according to their own lust. From these run away. Verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by our apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there would be mockers in the last days, in the last time, who would walk according to their own godly lust. There are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. And that original translation of sensual does not mean sexual like you and I would take that word sensual. You know what that means? In the original language, it means worldly. We might use the word secular. That's a bit of, that's why you got to understand the original language. That really stood out to me because as I read that, my mind just went back to Sodom and Gomorrah. No, no, no. He's not talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about worldly, secular saints. Let's keep going. Jude is returning them to the order of God's authority because he says, remember the words of the apostles. Remember the words that were spoken. Remember the words of the structure. Remember the words. He was saying, get back under the apostles' authority. Get back under the church. Get back under... Let's keep going, let's keep going. But number 20, but you, beloved, build up yourself in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I love how he says this. You, not your pastor, not your spouse, not your Bible teacher, you build up yourself in the most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep reading, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep witnessing, keep learning, keep growing, keep journaling, keep going after God in every and any way you know how. Keep going so you don't fall into the bucket of the apostates. Keep going. Verse 22, he says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. 
And he wraps it up by, let me just, what this means right here in this verse, he said, first walk in mercy, walk in mercy. Some people just need a little gentle instruction. Some people just need a little gentle nudge. Some people just need a little word, but others may need a more direct, strong intervention. Paul even had, there's an instance of Paul was one of the young followers that he turned him over to Satan for the buffeting of the flesh that they may eventually be saved. Make a distinction. And then he ends here with a word of encouragement, and I, and I love this prayer. And, and we can actually stand. Um, we're going to dismiss in prayer, but I, I just want to read this together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. I, I don't know about you, and I, I'm one of the people I like to pray scripture. I like to pray different scriptures at times. This is one that I'm, can I just encourage you to pray over yourself, pray over your family. In those moments when you're feeling discouraged, depressed, despair, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory. This was the book of Jude. We did, we did a lot. We, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of moved kind of quickly to get it done. But let me encourage you to, to break down some of these books like that and, and, and really get, get behind the, the definitions and things. Because Jude, as small as it is, I believe is so powerful for the end times. So powerful. Whether the Lord comes back tomorrow or not, like I said on the onset, this is our last time. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to treat one another? How are we, are we going to fall away and be one of these apostates? Every single one of these guys started out on the right track. We, we learned that in the verse when he said they were twice, twice dead. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for this, this great encouragement in the book of Jude to call warning, yes, with false teachers and, and things, but also the beloved promise at the end, Lord, that you are able to present us faultless. And, Lord, I, I take that as a bit of a call to repentance, and I pray, Lord, that even in this moment, let me just encourage you in the next 30 seconds, maybe the Lord has, has convicted your heart of, of something and some, some areas that maybe through this, this study here, Maybe triggered a few things in your heart that maybe the Lord wants you to, to make right. You can do that in this moment right now. Father, our, our collective prayer is that, Lord, that you would keep us in your care during these, these last days, Father. That we would be able to rightly discern the word of God. That we would rightly be able to, to, to understand who are false teachers and, and who are false Christians. Lord, one commentary said this is not just false teachers but false Christians. Father God, help us to, to be wise but also help us to be aware of our own selves. That, Lord, we would always walk in mercy. That we would always walk in love. That we would always walk in humility like Jude, who didn't even, didn't even call out his status being the stepbrother of our Lord. Let us walk in that same humility. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.